opened this up last week, looking at the sense that I had of the Lord that in this new season, in this new term time, that uh, there was an invitation from the Lord to go deeper. And if you recall, I uh, shared with you a picture the Lord gave me of the splash park at St. Albans Verilanium Park and the sense that we can enjoy the splash park just as children do, but there comes a point where there is an invitation to go into the swimming pool and into the deep. And I think for some of us, we're looking for more splash park apparatus to tickle our fancy, and yet there is an invitation from the Lord to go deeper. And we can get caught up in the trap of splash parks. It's not to say splash parks are wrong. Splash parks have been created for children, but we are to mature in the, in the faith. That isn't to say that we should not be childlike in our walk. But as Paul says, we need to move, progress from, from milk to meat. And um, I, I believe it is the call of the Lord for us as a people to, to take a step back and say, Lord, what, what are you calling me to? And what does the deep look like for my life and my world? And we kick things off by looking at the story where Jesus called the first disciples and the story of how um, he and Simon Peter were in the boat. And we're going, to, we're going to read that in a moment. And I said that the first call, before we're called to something, we are called to someone. Before we're called to do, we're called to, well done, you are listening, I'm very proud of you. Um, that before we get busy, we should get being. And the temptation in our lives is always, right, I've got to get doing. In fact, as I said last week, when you meet someone, they're like, well, what do you do? We hold our identity in our doing. We, we are defined by our doing, but that's not actually what it should be. We should be defined by our being, by our identity with Jesus in the boat. And we unpacked that last week. And if you missed that, then could I encourage you to catch up? You can do so on our YouTube channel. And with that, I'd like to say hello to all you YouTube watchers and across our other platforms. Hit the subscribe button and hit that bell notification to get important updates as they come through. Thank you very much. Um, and so I said to you that there were three calls that we read in this story. The call to be and then the call to walk in holiness. The call to be with Jesus and the call to walk in holiness. And that, therefore, is what we are going to look at this morning. But it's going to be part one of the call to walk in holiness. Um, I mean, let's be honest, the reality is I could preach for the rest of the year on holiness and still not have done a very good job of it. Um, I, I was preparing this talk this week, saying to the Lord, Lord, how on earth does me, me a mere human, convey your holiness? And the reality is I will not be able to do a good enough job, but... I have faith and trust in the Lord that he will breathe on my words and hit you where it needs to be hit, so to speak. Because this is a living, breathing word. You know, Paul said, I don't speak with the eloquence of man, but it is the power of the message. And he says in Romans 1, I'm not afraid of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And I believe that today is a day of salvation. I believe that none of you are here by accident, whether you're in the, in the room or online, and that God wants to speak to you this morning. So with that uh, way of introduction, let us turn together to our text that we have been looking at. 
uh, which is in Luke chapter 5, uh, 1 to 11. And as I said to you, uh, there are the three calls that we find in here. So let's read this together. It'll be on the screen in the room and on your device at home. Let me read it. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. Remember that. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And the reason they did so at night was that's when you went fishing at nighttime. That's what the professionals knew. But you non-fisherman professional, I put that in, that's, that's not actually in the scripture. At your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and other boats to come and help them and they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And we're going to look at that part next week. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had already taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I read there that Jesus said, let's put out a little from the land. <clears throat> there was something that occurred in that moment that is a prophetic type for what we're going to look at this morning. Because holiness, I don't know about you, but you don't often hear preaches or talks on holiness. But when we hear the word holiness, what do you think about? Probably right living. I mean, there is so many scriptures, are there not, in the, in the Bible. A command to abstain from fleshly lust, uh, make no provision for the flesh, uh, love not the world or the things of the world, uh, flee immorality, throw off the old man and put on the new, uh, think on what is good and what is true, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, lay aside all evil and mal malice, etc., etc., etc. There is embedded within the message of the gospel this call to holiness. But here is, I think, where we get unstuck. The, we, we, we hear that and we're like, what do I do with that? And the questions that I want to answer this morning are the questions that I have and I suspect you may have or have had at some point, which is this. What does holiness actually mean? Don't be embarrassed if you're wondering, what does holiness really mean? Why is this important? Why is there this call for holiness? And how on earth can walking in holiness be achieved? And uh, how on earth that was intended? 
How on earth can this be achieved? And therefore, that is what I want to do with the remainder of our time, the remainder of the two and a half hours that I have with you on the tour. <laughs> Lock the doors. Um, um, what does it mean that God is holy? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, we sing it, we sang it this morning, such wonderful refrains of holy, holy, holy. We read it in Revelation when the seraphim and uh, and the creatures were, were proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. We pray it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. But what on earth are we singing? What on earth are we praying? I'm glad you asked me that question. <clears throat> if you haven't, then you should ask me that question. The, whole, the word holy comes from the Hebrew word Kadosh, which actually means to cut. And you see, what holy means, the root of holy means to be cut off, or another way, to be separate from, from everything else. Being holy means to be cut off, to be separate from everything else. Or, or to put it another way, that you might have heard this phrase, it means other than other than, completely separate, separate and transcendent. Transcendent means, trans means above and beyond. Completely transcendent from us, completely separate. And so you see God is distinct, separate, transcendent, other than from anything else and anyone else that has ever been or ever will be. He is in his own class of his own. He's above and beyond the range of our normal and physical human experiences. He is a supernatural God. You know, in the uh, 19th century theologians on the back of the Enlightenment tried to reduce God to nature and in so doing remove the holiness of God. You know, uh, Adam McKinnon and I, Adam was uh, leading worship this morning, we're speaking this week, and I love the phrase, we were talking about worship songs and type of worship songs, and he said, you know, there's the father, the father's house songs, and there's the throne room of God songs. I kind of like that, because I think that, that speaks to the reality and the paradox that even though God is other than, that he is holy, that there is a throne room, that he calls us to know him and to be known and to be our father. Someone say amen. amen. Don't leave me hanging, people. Can I... We err in danger when sometimes we reduce God to our best mates and a dad that will bend over backwards for us and in so doing we remove the holiness of God. Now, clearly you cannot remove the holiness of God and how you relate to God you can do so. We need to understand that he is holy and transcendent and other than and separate from us and yet, at the same time, he wants to be known and calls us to himself. 
The second part of Kadosh is also moral purity. It's entirely and completely morally pure all the time and in every possible way. And so it has those two anchor points to that word that God is transcendent and other than and in a class and a distinction of his own and he is therefore morally pure. Why? He doesn't attain a level of standard. He is the standard. We don't like that fact because uh, you know, a lot of people would justify themselves based on their comparison with other people. Well, I'm a good guy. You should see Fred down the road. He's terrible. People justify themselves, not by the blood of Christ, but by a comparison of works. I'm sorry to say, as Paul says, all our righteous deeds are as but rags. I, I, I went over the speed limit this morning. Yeah. By about one and a half miles per hour. Just to clarify, this is documented. I'd like to say for the police that might be watching this, that... Um, it was for only a few seconds and like. But I sinned. That is a sin because Paul calls us to obey the civil uh, rules and regulations that we're in. I'm sorry, you don't, you wake up and you sin before you probably even brush your teeth. Sorry if I've burst a few bubbles in the room, I apologize. But God, you see, is holy. He is other than and he is morally pure. And you know, it says in Exodus 15, 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? There is no one other than you. You're not worshipping somebody like yourself. You're not worshipping something that we have created. We are worshipping the creator, someone that created us. And you know, when the enemy said to Eve, you can be like God, he was trying to scrub out the holiness of God in that very moment. <laughs> what a foolish thing. As if we can. And I want to say God's holiness isn't just a character trait that God turns on and off at will. God is holy. He is holy in justice, in love, in mercy, in power, in sovereignty, in wisdom, in patience, in anger, in grace, in faithfulness, and compassion, in all of his outworkings. He is always other than and morally pure. You see, the truth of God's holiness, listen guys, is the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without his holiness, there would be no moral law to which we are responsible for, and therefore there would be no sin. Without the holiness of God, there would be no divine anger towards and with sin. Without the holiness of God, there would be no son sent as the perfect sacrifice for sin. Without the holiness of God, there would be no resurrection and no defeat of death Without the holiness of God, there would be no final defeat of Satan. And without the holiness of God, there would be no hope of a new heaven and a new earth where there will no longer be sin. You try and remove the holiness of God and you're trying to scrub out the centrality of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we do so at our own peril. Now, 
when we were at Space on Tuesday, it was the revelation of the holiness of God that brought us to our knees. And next week, because I haven't got enough time to do it justice, and to be frank, I won't have enough time to do it justice next week. But one of the things that we don't like to talk about is this, the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord is the root of all wisdom and truth. What happened, and I'll give you a teaser for next week, what happened when Peter had a revelation of God? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The revelation of God's holiness is a revelation of who he is and who we are. Can you believe it? To use some North London vernacular, can you Adam and Eve it? Or is that East London? Is that Cockney? I don't even know. But Sorry? East End. Sorry, East Enders. It's not the soap. Um, stick to the notes, Halvagen. Stick to the notes. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We're going to look at that next week. There is freedom that comes from the fear of the Lord doesn't mean being frightened of some kind of God that's going to beat you over the head. It means an awe of an almighty, holy God. Wow. Now, the second part is this. If that is holiness, we get to a point of a question which, had it not been for the fact that it's in the Bible, would seem quite blasphemous. Had it not been in the Bible, you would have accused me of being a heretic. And it is this, you are called to be holy, just like God. Excuse me, pastor? We are called to be holy? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Leviticus 11.44, God says, he calls us to be holy as he is holy. And indeed, we're going to read later, uh, Peter, who quoted Leviticus in his call to say, you are called to be holy. The mind boggles, quite frankly. But we are therefore called to be cut off from and separated from and to walk in moral purity. To put it another way, we are called to be separated from sin and from the world and consecrated to him. That is the call to holiness for us, to be cut off, separated from that which is not of God and be set apart for him, consecrated for him. That is what it means to be holy and to be like our father and live in moral purity. That is the call of holiness. And I said that you see holiness as a picture and type in this story. We see it here. Verse three, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. What's happening there? There is a separation of Simon Peter from the multitude. You see that? Unless you think I'm making that up, we can see it in the Old Testament. We see this same picture of separation with Israel. 
God set apart Abraham and his descendants to be what? A holy nation. To demonstrate to the world what it means to live holy and for God. It says in Leviticus 11.44, as I quoted before, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. In other words, set yourself apart from the ways of the world and the patterns of this earth and be consecrated to me. That is what it means for us to be holy. There needs to be a separation of our hearts from the things of this world, which we'll look at in a moment, and consecrated to the things of God. Are we, are we getting this? Bless you. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What does that mean? He's saying, listen, before you were born again by the Spirit and you became his child, and we're in the gospel series recently, I unpacked that over a number of weeks, what that actually means. Before you were born again of the Spirit, you had, out of ignorance, passions and lusts of this world. And he's saying this, do not be conformed to those again. But as he who called you, that is God, as he who called you who is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, once again, quoted in Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. I, we're gonna get to the question in a minute of why are we called to be holy, uh, why are we called and how do we? I mean, it's such a massive subject. But I think that one of the areas of, uh, of, uh, of Christian teaching that we lack at the moment is this call to holiness. I think what we major on is live your best life and excel in your gifting and have fun and et cetera, et cetera. And that appeals to us, does it not? We love the, the seeming, and I use that word intentionally, seeming path of least resistance. But we miss out the fruit of walking in holiness if we don't incline our ear to the call of God to say you have an obligation to walk in holiness and your conduct should be that which honours God. But if I went and preached that for six weeks in a row, I think the online views would probably dip and I'd be like, where's everyone disappeared to? And that's not a reflection on you, by the way. I know your hearts and you're pursuing God and I love that about this church. I'm saying in a general sense, as we think about our walk, we miss out on the blessing that comes with the call to holiness. So why are we called to be holy? Well, I'll give you a few reasons for a starter. Because, and I'll start with this one, holiness gives us confidence in prayer. You know, um, it says in 1 John, if our heart condemns us not, in other words, if we are if we're listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life, you know what I mean, right? Don't say that. I know you want to say that, but you, oh, okay, you've gone and said it. Don't drink that extra, you know, if you have, okay, you've gone and done that. Don't go, what's that thing? If you turn that, to, oh, you've gone and turned the TV. You know, we, we, that's our conscience the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And what John is saying here, it's not our heart, if our heart condemns us not. In other words, if we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we set our hearts to live a pure life, he says this, then we have confidence towards God. 
And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do things that are pleasing in his sight. Let me rewrite this for you. If your heart condemns you, then you will have no confidence with God. And I wonder why we live in a world where, and I'm, I'm, I'm in danger of this, the saints, and by the way, that word saint means holy ones. That's us, all of us. We're called saints for a reason. We wonder why we lack the power to walk in that which God has for us. And we lack the confidence to boldly claim at the throne of God his promises. We wonder why when we're walking in sin and we're not pursuing a life of holiness. This is how serious it is. Listen, if you want a life of victory, and I don't have to, if I ask who wants a life of victory, you're probably all gonna put your hands up. Then I'm gonna give you the answer, walk in holiness. If you want to see blessings being poured out, then walk in holiness. Okay, what else? Um, here's the other part of this, the other the side of that coin. We are called to be holy by God who loves us and knows what is best for us. There's a quote, and I don't know who this is from, but he said this. Human flourishing is always a function of delighting in that which God delights and desiring that which God desires. Let me read that again. Human flourishing is always a function of delighting that which God delights and desiring that which God desires. My car flourishes when I follow the, the manufacturer's manual and put the right type of petrol in the car. It does not flourish when I say, I don't need to, I'll put my own thing in it, thank you very much. We have been created to worship a holy God and to be his children and we flourish in when we walk with him in obedience to him. Sin leads to destruction. Sin leads to broken relationships. Sin leads to difficulties. Sin has an effect. It might taste good in the moment and you, you might love it in that moment but it will always breed destruction and brokenness. Conversely, the call of holiness, to walk in holiness, brings blessing. And there's many other reasons, not least this. I want to please that which my father is pleased with. I want to desire that which my father does. I love it when my children want to do things that will give a smile to my face. And what's a copy daddy? It's less now they're older, but, you know, when they were younger. <laughs> Be childlike. So that's why we're called. There is blessing there and we're called to have victory as we walk in confidence. But here's the next question. How do I become holy? And I think this is the kind of crux of it and where I want to try and land in the next few minutes. You see, I think when we think of holiness, we think it's a one-time event of becoming. I have become holy. Yesterday was a fantastical day of holiness. You know, uh, Wesley, before he really encountered the Lord, he and his compadres in, I want to say, Oxford or Cambridge, uh, he set up the Holiness Club. And their endeavor was works of holiness in order that they could attain holiness. But he soon discovered that that was not holiness. You see, the, the answer is in the title of the talk. We are called to walk in holiness. 
we are called to walk. It's a journey. You won't arrive at holiness until the other side of glory in terms of complete holiness. Okay, I'm going to just use two minutes to talk about something. A cultural comment, if you would give me the leeway. You know, the, uh, one of the sayings of the Vineyard Church is this, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Do you know the pressure to remove the don't stay as you are? Do you know the amount of conversations, even within Vineyard pastors, of is that still, quote, relevant? Um, well, how can you be inclusive if you say don't stay as you are? I'd say this, how can you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without saying it? I mean, if you want to scrub out what Jesus did on the cross, then be my guest. If you want people to come in and come as they are, but don't change, then I don't know what I'm preaching. Because I'm told not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. I mean, if you want to be justified, which is justified being on the cross, and you want to be right with God, but you want to, don't want to be sanctified, then what am I preaching? Come as you are, but please don't stay as you are. And can I just say, I don't think we do want to stay as we are anyway. I certainly don't. I had a shocking day yesterday. I was really losing my temper a lot. If I see you talking to Steph later, she's not going to answer the question, what was Mark like yesterday, right? Or maybe she will, I don't know. Oh, thank you, darling. Being authentically you, let me clarify, is authentically you without sin. Being authentic isn't devoid of God because you're in bondage to sin and you'll never be authentically you. Authentically you, because we love that word authentic, don't we? Oh, I don't want to change because I'm authentically me. I think you might have misused the word authentic. If you want to be how God intended you and created you to be, then you better walk in holiness because you won't be your true self unless you walk in a holy walk. And the good news is this, that we don't have to stay where we are. And it's the process, here we go, here's the good news, people, because at this point, you might be feeling worn out, maybe feeling a bit battered, and feel like, well, Mark, I've tried. Huh, tried my best, thank you very much. Nothing you're telling me is new. But I want to say this. It is the Spirit of God in us who changes us from the inside out. Holiness is not a manufactured work devoid of inward change. Holiness isn't a good day of being good. Holiness is inclining your heart towards Christ and saying, would you conform me to you, Jesus? That is holiness. Holiness is a fruit of our hearts. Are you hearing me? It is not a manufactured work of our, quote, good deeds. I mean, by the way, what's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. You can have good deeds 
and it means nothing in terms of righteousness because our hearts are not inclined to his. And so as we incline our hearts to his and as we say, Lord, would you change me? Thank you that you've justified me. Thank you that when God looks at me, he looks at me as holy. But now, Lord, you're calling me to walk in that holiness. That's why it says work, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Big difference. Don't work for it because you can't. You want to lean into a salvation of works? then I'm sorry to say that is not the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he did all the good works. The good news of Jesus Christ is that all of his good works are given unto us. The good news is that his purity is given unto us so that when God looks at us, we can enter the throne room of God to a holy God and have confidence. That is the good news. But we are called to work out that salvation, to walk into that holiness, to make a decision to be other than, to be set apart from the world, to leave the multitude and consecrate ourselves. Romans says this, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Then you can test and approve God's pleasing and perfect will. That is your act of worship to God. If you wanna walk holiness, go and strap yourselves up on the altar and die to yourself. Man, we don't hear preaching like this, do we? And I'm not bigging myself up, friends. Please don't hear that. I just feel the unction of the Holy Spirit on me to say this is a message that we need to recapture, which is the holiness of God and our obligation to walk in that because in that is where there is blessing and in that is where we worship in spirit and in truth. Right. Why don't we invite the band up as I, as I give you some practical tips to do what I, to, to walk in holiness. It's actually not that difficult. It just means you need to make a decision. And I want to give you five things, all right? I'm just gonna touch on these very briefly. Number one, make a choice to surrender your will to his and to be with Jesus. And it all starts with last week being with Jesus. That is our call, our number one call, to be with Jesus. Make a decision to surrender your will to his and be with Jesus. Number two, make a decision to take sin seriously. Number three, listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Don't say that. Well done. Don't watch that. Well done. Don't drink that extra. Well done. Number four, repent. I love what someone said about repentant, and I used it last week. It's not my way, but Yahweh. I love that. I can't take any credit for that whatsoever. Repentance is saying, not my way, but I'm going to turn towards Yahweh. That's repentance. It's not complicated. It's making the decision to turn away from that which is not God, and turning towards that which is. That is, what am I just doing? I am separating myself. I'm cutting myself off from that which is not God and walking towards Yahweh. Not my way, but Yahweh. And number five, set your eyes on being like Jesus and yielding yourself to his spirit to change us from the inside out. Those are the five steps, or the, they're not necessarily sequential, but I hope that's helpful for you that you can take that away and say, Lord, on your knees tonight or when you get home and say, Lord, 
I want to walk in holiness. I want to experience you, and I'm going to do these five things. I'm, I'm making a choice now, Holy Spirit. In fact, let's stand, church.